One of the concepts that we all focus on in the legal profession is the importance of civility toward one another. And let's face it, cyberbullying is the exact opposite of this, right? So I think that it's an issue that needs to be carefully looked into. And I think, you know, we're just really, as far as the Federal Bar Association goes, just now starting to really look into what we can do. Because at the end of the day, you have to protect yourself online. There's so much information out there that people, unfortunately, like to use that against you. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from a sunny and windy Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. As our listeners know, my co-host Bob Ambrosi recently retired from Lawyer to Lawyer and we are in search of guest co-hosts who can join us to discuss current legal topics. If you are an attorney and you're interested, please feel free to reach out to our producer, Kate Nutting, and you can reach her via email at kate at legaltalknetwork.com. And also, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. You can try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Now, with the rise of social media over the years, cyberbullying has become a huge problem. Cyberbullying is the use of electronic communication to bully a person, typically by sending messages of an intimidating or threatening nature. Bullying tweets and Facebook posts can be powerful and have a huge impact. Keyboard warriors find their victims, and oftentimes their victims cannot escape. And it's led to a whole new genre of words, including things like doxing. But here within the legal profession, there are efforts to put laws in place and combat cyberbullying through a variety of ways. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss cyberbullying, the impact on victims, and efforts by the legal profession to prevent cyberbullying. To do that, we've got a great lineup of guests for you today. Here to discuss today's topic is Maria Vathis. She is the 91st president of the Federal Bar Association, which was founded in 1920. The association consists of more than 20,000 federal lawyers, including 1,500 federal judges, who work together to promote the sound administration of justice, quality, and the independence of the judiciary. Well, welcome to our show, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. And our next guest is a returning guest. He's also an internet attorney, Andrew Rosso. Drew brings with him a unique millennial perspective to the show, and he is also a criminal defense attorney, writer, and adjunct law professor in Dayton, Ohio. Drew's passion for advocating for good digital citizenship has led him into fighting for those who are victimized by social media crimes, as well as educating and spreading awareness about the growth of new technologies and digital monies. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you so much, Craig, for having me back. It's good to be here. Great. And, Drew, let me give you the first question. I kind of wanted to give an overview from you about what cyberbullying consists of, how it affects victims, what causes it, and uh, maybe even some comments about what's going on recently. 
Sure. And, and Craig, it's, it's, a, it's a good question and it's an evolving question. Cyberbullying is the use of any form of intimidation, harassment, or targeted commenting through the use of technology. And it's typically done at the expense of another individual. And as we've seen over the years, it's evolved. It, it used to be solely done via telephone or strictly within a classroom. And as we've seen with technology, that's no longer the case. It's not just in the classroom. It's now online. It, it leaves the classroom. It comes home with us. It's, it's on social media. It's online. It's in the press. It's on TV. It's everywhere. And it's become a major problem. And I think today what people need to know is how to not, not even prevent it, but how to stay away from it, how to stand up against it, because it's something that really can harm another person, especially from a younger age. Well, Maria, you've, as president of the, of the Federal Bar Association, this, I think, is one of the things that you've undertaken. Can you tell us about what your plans are during your presidency? Sure. So the Federal Bar Association, as some listeners may know, is committed to providing guidance and opportunities to the youth in the nation. And we do this through our annual community outreach project every April. And we also um, have a civics awareness initiative that involves a national essay contest. And right now we are looking into whether the essay contest topic can relate to cyberbullying. So I'm hoping that we can raise awareness throughout the nation about cyberbullying and its negative impacts through this essay contest. So, Drew, how is cyberbullying to be viewed by the public? I mean, is it one of those situations that it is in the eyes of the beholder? Uh, our first lady, Melania Trump, has said that she is the most bullied person in America. Do we look at it from the standpoint of the person who's being cyberbullied, or is there a, a numerical measure that you get a particular amount of it over a particular length of time that it becomes cyberbullying? How do we individually view this, and what's the law framework behind it? That's a good question, and that's a very difficult question to, to answer, but to break it down for you, Yes, it is in the eyes of the beholder, but at the same time, there really is no universal standard on which to measure whether or not someone is being cyberbullied or not. You know, I think the the premise of this repeated conduct online, whether it's targeted messaging through tweets, through Facebook messages, through through text messages, it's that repeated harassment, that annoyance, and every state views it. A little differently. Most states have their own version of a cyberbullying law or statute. And, you know, it started many, many years ago. I believe, you know, Monica Lewinsky was a prime example of what cyberbullying was. And that was with dial up internet. And it's the mere fact that information can very quickly across a number of different sources. And I think with the example you pointed out with our first lady, I think she's in a difficult position and, you know, whether one person believes one thing or the other person believes another thing, I think whenever somebody is in the public spotlight, there are those who believe that they welcome that behavior. And is that true? Is that warranted? In my opinion, it's not. But to many, that may be a different case. And I think Having these initiatives, especially with what you know Maria is talking about with the federal bar, and having these 
ideals that encourage people to come out and speak out against that is the best way to start addressing this and especially encouraging the legislature to enact even stricter laws or even more narrowly tailored laws. Maria, let's take a look at that. What what kind of concrete steps are the is the federal bar recommending to deal with cyberbullying when it occurs, and and where are we on on putting some type of legal framework into place? Well, I think that that's something that we're just starting to look into now. Um, as as you know, one of the concepts that we all focus on in the legal profession is the importance of civility toward one another. And let's face it, cyberbullying is the exact opposite of this, right? So I think that it's an issue that needs to be carefully looked into. And I think, you know, we're just really, as far as the Federal Bar Association goes, just now starting to really look into what we can do. Drew, are there any kind of real life stories other than, you know, some of the obvious ones that you mentioned, you know, Monica Lewinsky and, and, uh, you know, we've seen uh, Christine Forge or the reports of her death threats to her. We've heard from Melania Trump, but, you know, what about the regular everyday, uh, you know, Joe and Jane, the people that are not as well known or not celebrities? What kind of cyber bullying are they undergoing? Sure. And, you know, again, that's, it's something you don't hear about, and I'm sure, and, and it does, it happens every day. Uh, from the younger demographic, it's in school, it's in college, you know, it's it's a form of digital hazing, digital abuse, it's, it's all over. And the problem is, is people don't always report it. So people, people being legislators, authorities, figures in a position to do something about it, they aren't in the know for the most part. And I think a big part of it is, you know, especially from our generation, my millennial generation is, we think we can handle it. We think that A, it's not a big deal, or B, when it is a big deal, we do something about it. But when we do something about it, it may not always be the most appropriate response. And unfortunately, we've seen stories over the news on people lashing out or acting out in ways that are extremely violent and not productive to this space. And I think when it comes to the everyday Joe, this issue needs to be brought to light in a way to where an average citizen, an average person can really relate and feel connected to somebody who can help them. But it, it's it's kind of that matter of fear, no different than anything from a domestic violence case in, in, in the court system. So how does a person deal with it? You know, do you turn your phone off? Do you stick your head in the sand and, and don't get on a computer? Or turn this over to the police? And if you do, is there really a way to be able to find these people that are bullying you online? You know, the first thing that I tell clients, you know, in my engagement and interactions with people across the country who are who have either been in this position or even celebrities who've been bullied themselves when they speak out is you can't take it personally and it's very difficult to accept that that it's not personal and that's that's part of of being human you know we're we're our own worst critics and i think when a person can accept and know that it's not personal that it's not them that's the first step. The second step is knowing when to walk away. And I think, again, that's another reaction that is just, it's, it's easy to say, but difficult to implement. And I think in this case, knowing when to walk away can make all the difference because you have your emotions in control. People are very quick to react with emotions. There's not a lot of logic going on. And I think when you're able to recognize and take a step back and say, hey, listen, 
this isn't me. This is about the other person. I'm not going to let this person take over my feelings, my emotions, my, my actions. That opens up a whole new world to say, okay, what can I then do about it? Do I save these messages? Can I take it to the police? Absolutely. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's building a paper trail for yourself. Because at the end of the day, you have to protect yourself online. There's so much information out there that people, unfortunately, like to use that against you. Maria, we, you know, you've mentioned in a, in a prior answer that, that the lawyers have an obligation of civility, and certainly it's in the model rules as well as practically every state's rules and in local courts and everywhere it's, it can be an issue. But what do lawyers do and that constitutes cyberbullying? When does it start to cross the line? And if it does cross the line, how do we address it? Well, I don't know that it's just specific to lawyers. I think, you know, that it's, it's a problem that affects so many different people. I mean, really, probably every demographic in the nation could be affected by it. And it could be the victim could be any age. The person doing the cyberbullying can be any age. And I think that, you know, I have to echo what Drew said on this. I think it's really important to remember that the person doing the cyberbullying obviously has the problem. I mean, they're the person who is reacting inappropriately, reacting emotionally, being cruel. And usually it's because they are suffering themselves. And I think as, as an adult, as lawyers, a lot of times, you know, we've got the life experience and the sophistication to come to that conclusion. I worry about the youth of the nation that just is probably too young to, to have that sort of insight. So I think it's important for lawyers to try to spread the word. And since our profession does have this concept of civility, I think it's appropriate for us to be doing that. I think helping the community in those ways is really important. Great. Thank you. And before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and we are joined by Maria Vathis, the 91st president of the Federal Bar Association, and a returning guest and internet attorney, Drew Rossow. Now, Drew, we were talking about the effect of uh, cyberbullying on young people, and certainly we've seen the horror stories in the news about elementary school children who now have phones that are now bullied, as you mentioned, mercilessly over their phones that, that have committed suicide. What can parents do to recognize when this happens? Uh, what steps are they supposed to take with their child? And, and where do you go for that? You know, obviously the police, but can you go to the school and can you go to the bullying children's parents? Absolutely, Craig. And as you said, of course, the police, those types of authorities are always available. But it starts with, you know, and I'm not a parent yet. And one day, I, you know, hopefully I'll have that opportunity. But as a parent, it's important to recognize how your child is behaving. How are they coming back from school? Are they acting out? If they're acting out, why are they acting out? And just being observant and then saying, okay, well, what has changed in that atmosphere? What in the environment has changed 
uh, in timing with my child, with this person. And then from there, of course, go to the school, go to the principal, go to the counselors, because if the school doesn't know, you know, how else is this supposed to be addressed at school? And, you know, parents aren't always there. You know, and uh, these officials and these authorities are in the proper position to be able to do something about it. And it, that could make all the difference. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is that when the principal, when the schools, when the proper people do find out, it's too late. And I think building, like I said earlier, building this paper trail of saying, okay, let's go to the school collectively. Let's take the police report. Then let, let's let's do talk to the other parents children. And, you know, it's it's a case-by-case scenario, but it never hurts to start at where the incident is occurring. Yeah, Maria, there have been some parents and, and some child advocates that have recommended not giving phones to uh, children of a certain age. And there are other, an equal number, I think, of, of child advocates who say that you know, given the frequency of school shootings, or at least the publicized frequency of it, that rampant as it is, but given that type of situation, children are in the need of phones. So where where do we draw the line? What kind of recommendations do you think are out there to, to give parents some guidance on that? That is a really difficult question, and I think, you know, there are so many different ways to, you know, look at this and different perspectives. I don't think it's going to be very easy to go back in time and you know, alleviate phones. I think it's just kind of become a really, you know, we all have them, right? It's part of life. I just don't see us going backwards. So unfortunately, I'm not sure that that would be a viable solution. Um, I guess I would hope that perhaps just, you know, spreading awareness of what the impact of negative impact of cyberbullying can be might help you know, change the way people are interacting with each other and particularly, you know, children and teenagers. Drew, Marie has you know, mentioned how big of an effect this is. What do we do to get this turned around? Who do we begin? You know, Marie is suggesting that with lawyers, civility is a place, starting place, but how can we get celebrities? How can we get politicians on board? I mean, we've got some pretty bad examples out there. Sure. And, and Craig, just to give you kind of a personal example, I've myself over the past year and a half started my own online social media movement that the fundamental purpose is to bring the Hollywood, the public figures, and those in a legal capacity together closer with their fans, their constituents, their clients. And what I've had them do is record a message directly speaking out to their fans, sharing a personal story, either something or some event where they've been bullied and how they've responded and basically saying, look, you're not alone. You know, you support our music, you support our movies, you've hired us to represent you, but do you really know what that support means, what that belief means? Join us, connect with us, do what's right, reach out to us. So whether it's my movement or other things out there, I think it starts with bringing back the respect and this, you know, I don't want to say holier than thou, but this chair on which these artists, musicians, and political figures sit, that we can look to them as role models. And as you said, we don't have the best examples in place, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, that's, that's not a permanent thing, and that's not something that is set in stone. You know, there's a senator, uh, Robert Zirkin, out of Maryland that's 
pushing for legislation for uh, Grace's law, for Grace McConus and, and her mother. And it's very difficult to get this legislation through because I still don't think to an extent that everyone really understands what this is about. But I think the more public figures, the more people you can bring on board for this cause, the the easier it will be over time to recognize that this really is an issue that affects not just young students, but people everywhere, journalists, uh, lawyers, everybody. Well, Maria, we've, we've seen some of the late night TV shows that have segments called Mean Tweets, where the uh, celebrities are invited to come on the television and, and read mean tweets that were sent to them and read them out loud. Is it really the isolation, you know, as we talked about in the beginning, keyboard warrior that that leads to this kind of thing? Is it, where's the root of this? I mean, if you had to say what you said in a tweet, a mean tweet to someone to their face, would it be as, as acceptable to say it in this day and age? Or have we just as a society become that mean all the way around? Well, sadly, I would say that it somehow has become, I think, a little more common in society to be, you know, less caring, to be more abrupt. And I think it's natural then that some people might take it farther and say hurtful things. But I don't think that face-to-face interaction would lead to some of the comments that we see on social media. I think someone might think twice if you see the person's, you know, expression, body language, I think a lot of times, you know, people behind a computer, they're not, they're not looking at the human, they're just sort of responding. And they think they're being funny or witty, and it's actually really hurtful. But I firmly believe that when someone is being that mean, it's probably because they have their own issues, and it's making them react in a negative way. And You know, I think that what Drew has done by, you know, reaching out to celebrities to raise awareness is such an important first step. I I really commend him for doing that. And I think the more people get positive messages and think about what they're saying, what they're putting out on social media, how it never goes away. It's, you know, it's out there indefinitely once it's posted. I think that's really the, the change that we need to see. And it's wonderful that Drew cares and has started this trend. And Drew, how, how do we draw a line on a subjective issue? I mean, obviously on one end, you've got death threats. And there's no question that that's cyberbullying. But on the other end, or maybe somewhere in the middle, you've got sarcasm and wit. And then maybe on the far side, something that just is, you know, not nice. It just, ouch, that hurt a little bit because it was perhaps true, but observed in a different fashion than you might be used to hearing. So lack of tact. So between that lack of tact and a death threat, where do you draw the line as to what constitutes cyberbullying? How do we regulate that? That's a great question. I want to also thank uh, Maria for her kind words. I, I appreciate that. It, it's hard to draw the line. I think as a society, and you know, I'm not trying to come off as negative, but realistic. And I, I think we as a society have become a little more fragile and sensitive than we ought to be or should be. And we're in a day and age, unfortunately, where no matter what somebody says, somebody is going to get hurt, somebody's going to be offended, somebody's not going to like it. And I think this ideal of trying to please everybody by, you know, staying locked up in a house or being this ideal model citizen, it's not realistic, but there are still ways to be proactive and and positive. And I think to answer your question, 
it's going to be a case by case basis. And, you know, sarcasm is sarcasm. Joking is joking. And I think when it comes down to it, people do understand that distinction. I think it comes into effect where there are two, maybe more than two people that have never met or that may have met once or twice that don't really know each other. They don't know what joking is like. They don't understand the personality traits or how to determine sarcasm. That makes that question very hard to answer. And especially with uh, smartphones and being on a keyboard, it's very hard to extract emotion out of it. It's it's just not possible. And that's the cause of a lot of uh, arguments, disagreements, misunderstandings, and miscommunication among couples, friends, everybody. So I think it's a case-by-case basis. And unfortunately, uh, with the court system, you know, we'll start to see a broad spectrum of what is and is not considered to be cyberbullying in a sense. But again, it's unfortunately going to have to take those turns to create these these boundaries and these extremes. And Marie, as we begin to address these issues in the courts, obviously, you know, we have tort uh, laws and libel and, and slander and defamation and the, the realm of that. Are, are we going to be seeing a flood of these things as we move forward? You know, I don't know, because you know, some of this would probably be protected speech under the First Amendment, right? So I think that that's another issue is w- whether there's really going to be you know, what is really a cause of action? You know, that's that's the question that I still have in my mind. So I think we're going to have to just see what the courts have to say about that, because I think, you know, an opinion is probably going to be protected. Right. But I think when it it's causing harm to people, that's something that we need to, you know, revisit and evaluate. So I look to the courts for for that guidance. Sounds like we may need to look to the legislature for that guidance because there's a lot of unanswered questions here. Well, we just about reached the end of our program. Drew, I want to turn it over to you first to sum up and give your contact information. And certainly I'd like you to talk about uh, more about your CyberSmile Foundation and CyberBite and the news series that you've got so that our listeners can can use those as resources. Absolutely. And, and Craig, thank you so much for, for having me back. It's a pleasure. And I think these, these programs really do make a difference uh, to those listening out there. In terms of the initiative that I have, it's called the Cyber Byte Challenge, Cyber B-Y-T-E. And what that movement does is it brings Hollywood actors, actresses, musicians, and public figures, including legislators, uh, together to their constituents, to their fans, and they record a video speaking out to those that follow them and say, hey, look, you're not alone. This has happened to me, or it's happened to somebody I know, and it's influenced uh, this song or why I chose to uh, do this movie. And it really does bring people together. And and I I do encourage people to either join it or, or find something that they can feel as if they're making a difference. And and with the Cyber Smile Foundation, it's it's a wonderful nonprofit out of the UK. And um, what we do is we we receive letters from all over the world, from kids in schools who are too afraid to tell their family what's going on or their friends, asking for help, asking for a resource. And what the Cyber Smile Foundation does is we 
we connect them with the proper resources. We talk with them, and we are kind of their guide along the way, making sure that they're not alone in this. So I do encourage people to, to look into them, and there, there's plenty of organizations out there that, that are aimed at this. But for those who want to contact me, my email is rossolaw at gmail.com, and you can find me on Facebook at drossolaw. Great. And it's R-O-S-S-O-W, right? That is correct. Great. Maria, let's turn it over to you then for your final thoughts and perhaps uh, how our listeners can become with the federal involved with the Federal Bar Association on this topic. Thank you, Craig. And I just want to say, you know, we're very interested in continuing to, you know, bring focus to this topic. Drew, if we can help with CyberSmile, please let us know. To find out more about the Federal Bar Association or to join, please visit www.fedbar.org. Please also watch for our National Civics Essay Contest, which is going to be open to high schoolers around the nation. There'll be information out on that in the next few weeks, and we encourage high schoolers to apply and you know, write a piece for our contest. If you want to reach me personally, I'm at Brian K. Blayton Paisner. You can Google that, or you can email me at maria.vathis at bclplaw.com. Great. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. Produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.